0: Sup, you beautiful bastards! Welcome back. Make sure you hit that like button, otherwise, we'll punch you in the throat and let's just jump into it. Hurricane Ian is officially attacking America, right as I was recording, right now, the eye made landfall with mainland Florida. And the footage coming out of the area is terrifying with Fort Myers in particular getting battered by this storm. We've seen intense winds as well as a multi-foot storm surge that's flooding coastal areas, with the city only getting a small break as the eye of the storm is moving over the city. The now category five hurricane is expected to make its way up to Orlando tonight, with the National Weather Service in Tampa continuing to issue warnings for the people there. Right, because like we've talked about, while a lot of southern and central florida is used to hurricanes tampa hasn't really been hit by a major one in a long time also for people sending well wishes because i was talking about my parents out there uh thank you one setter hunkering down one i was able to get out of there now hopefully everyone there can be safe the damage will be minimal but Like with all hurricanes, damage is expected, especially with the heavy rainfall and gusts of up to 190 mile per hour winds. And to get an idea of how bad hurricanes can mess up an area, I mean, we only need to look at what recently happened to Puerto Ricans. Right, Hurricane Fiona tore through the island, leaving it in pretty bad shape, which unfortunately has been a trend with hurricanes in Puerto Rico. It's so bad that many regions just don't have running water or electricity, and major parts of the island have been relying on diesel to power necessities. And that's all well and good in the short term, but that is a finite resource, and it's looking like even that's going to run out. Governor Pedro Pierluisi warning that the fuel shortage would affect public health, security, and even government functions. So it's not surprising that he is requesting the federal government waive the Jones Act, which if you don't know, Kind of a wild thing, Uh, the Jones Act heavily limits the goods that can go to Puerto Rico, right? It requires that all goods transported to the island have to be sent on a U.S.-built ship that is crewed and owned by U.S. citizens flying a U.S. flag. While waiving the Jones Act isn't uncommon after major storms, and hopefully this will change, President Joe Biden so far has yet to respond to the governor's request. But hopefully he does because literally instant relief is sitting off the coast. As I record this for you, there is a British petroleum ship with 300,000 barrels of diesel awaiting entry. But even with waiving it, there's a question of why does it still exist right the jones act is very controversial it's one of the most egregious remnants of america's most blatant imperialist past i mean it forces a territory to only get goods from the mother country which is something that colonies around the world have complained about throughout history i mean ironically or you could say hypocritically it it was one of the driving factors in the american revolution but apparently we were like death to the king long live the king but for everyday puerto ricans the jones act causes more down-to-earth issues right not only does it make things like getting fuel to the island more expensive but it also causes basic building materials to rebuild the island after storms like fiona very expensive leading to figures like the archbishop of san juan and senator marco rubio to also call for the jones act to be waived and the thinking around this shouldn't just be short term right how can we solve the long-term issues that the island faces and the desire is there local officials on both sides of the aisle have long wanted it repealed claiming that it permanently stifles the economy an economy that more and more mainland americans are taking advantage of because while it's always there this hurricane has also refueled anger over wealthy mainland americans going to the island and building multi-million dollar homes while saying very little about the disaster notable among Among these being logan paul who has reportedly been a resident for nearly a year now after building a 13 million dollar home there which is why we've seen so many locals criticizing him other critics saying hey logan paul don't you live in puerto rico sucks how you call it home and the natives your neighbors are suffering as well as logan paul and all you millionaires where the fuck are you at now what are you doing for puerto rico to help want to keep buying property all of yous are full of shit well this is something that we've talked about in the past the the person that has blown this up the most recently is bad bunny he if you didn't see recently turned his el apagon music video into a documentary about the struggles puerto rico faces and heavily focused on millionaires like Logan Paul who come to avoid many taxes. In Puerto Rico, there is a law that allows extranjeros not to pay certain taxes when they move here. It is called the 22 que which is now part of the 60 I'm moving to Puerto Rico. It also touches on a lot of the other issues that the island faces, like gringos buying cheaper properties that locals would use for housing and making them rentals for tourists. And after today's show, I'll I'll link to it down below. I I cannot recommend you check it out enough. And also, to that end, I'm going to link to some charities and food banks down below where you can send donations to try and help, which is something, but I mean, even all the money in the world, it's not going to fix the issues that the Jones Act causes. And then mm-hmm. internet weirdos are thirsting over Jeffrey Dahmer right now, and I feel like we should talk about it because, you know, we've been talking about true crime the last two weeks. And now, with the new Dahmer monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story series on Netflix, the, the conversation has really taken center stage. But it's a show by Ryan Murphy, it stars Evan Peters, and it just broke Netflix's record to become the most-watched first week for a new series ever. But despite this massive success, it's also facing tons of criticism with many critics calling it exploitative, The Guardian writing that it is unwatched watchably queasy and saying the first episodes are quote a demonstration of every worst tendency that the true crime drama genre has to offer we've also seen the families of the victims speaking out especially the family of errol Lindsay. his cousin eric tweeting i'm not telling anyone what to watch i know true crime media is huge right now but if you're actually curious about the victims my family is pissed about the show it's re-traumatizing over and over again and for what how many movies shows documentaries do we need eric also bringing up the intended narrative this show and a lot of others use saying that the story is for and about the victims and their families but saying just because they say this doesn't mean that's how it's received explaining so when they say they're doing this with respect to the victims or honoring the dignity of the families no one contacts them my cousins wake up every few months at this point with a bunch of calls and messages and they know there's another Dahmer show it's cruel errol's sister rita also writing an essay in insider where she echoed the claim that netflix gave her no heads up didn't ask her any questions about this or her brother and saying that watching it felt like reliving it all over again it brought back all the emotions i was feeling back then it's sad they're just making money off this tragedy that's just greed and that's just one aspect there's also been a ton of controversy and really general disgust about how people have received this show because right now you have people making fan edits that seemingly romanticize Dahmer even though they show Evan Peters as Dahmer is still a murderer in his actions that are ultimately being portrayed you've got people minimizing what he did trying to say that there was like this big romantic relationship it was a love story the Dahmer is hot they're thirsting over his mugshot which is why you also have people on social media trying to counter all of this tweeting things like Jeffrey Dahmer molested and murdered people mostly black men and boys. So to see people making edits and thirst traps of him is a little off-putting. There was even a report yesterday that there were discussions in Milwaukee about finding a way to honor the victims but you had the mayor and others concerned that if they actually made a physical memorial, it might just end up being this weird mecca for creepy Dahmer fans. And so with no shortage of controversies here and this being a continuing discussion, I'd love to know your thoughts. And then they're threatening people with felonies for talking about abortion or even providing condoms. Yes, really, it's insane, right? So we have to go to the potato state. Idaho, where the University of Idaho released a statement to its faculty last week, informing them of new university policies that restrict the discussion of abortion and even counsels faculty against providing contraception like condoms, and saying any violations could lead faculty to be fired, barred from working for the state, and even charged with a misdemeanor or felony. With these new mandates even limiting access to emergency contraception like Plan B on campus, making it only available in cases of rape. And regarding the discussion of abortion, the university warned them, academic freedom is not a defense to violation of law. Right, so why? Why is the university doing this? Well, all these rules stem from the state legislation passed last year titled No Public Funds for Abortion Act. With that saying that absolutely no funds provided by the state shall be used in any way to perform, promote, or counsel in favor of abortions. And in another Idaho code, it's a felony for anyone without a medical license to advertise or provide notice of, quote, any medicine or means for producing or facilitating a miscarriage or abortion or for the prevention of conception. And according to the university statement to faculty, the laws are unclear and untested in court. So the school has decided to take a conservative approach and not provide standard birth control. Now, to remove any confusion for those involved, it's important to note that the university can still provide condoms for STD prevention, just not for contraception. Right, so you just gotta say, I want the condoms so I don't get gonorrhea, not because I don't want baby Gina. But also, for all of us that live outside of Idaho, this is still an important story to look at, because if there's one thing you take away from this, is that this movement against abortion isn't just producing laws that limit rights to the procedure, but also it's making safe and responsible birth control less accessible for young people, giving more weight to the fear that anti-abortion laws will turn to anti-birth control laws. And now you literally have educational institutions worried that they're going to criminally punish college faculty just for providing basic reproductive resources and information to their students. To the point that they're having to jump through hoops in their curriculum to avoid getting a felony charge. And then, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Established Titles. Established Titles is based on a historic Scottish custom where landowners are referred to as lords and ladies in English. It's basically a fun gift to give to anyone, but especially those hard to shop for people in your life. The title packs give you at least one square foot of dedicated land on a private estate in Edelston, Scotland, and an official certificate with a crest. And I especially like that they are huge supporters of global reforestation working with charities like One Tree Planted and Trees for the Future. So with each order, it means that one tree gets planted. And in fact, Established Titles has saved over 170 acres of woodlands in different parts of Scotland and planted over 2 million trees globally with Trees for the Future alone. So why not make them call you Lord or Lady? It makes an amazing last minute gift, and Established Titles is running a massive sale. Plus, when you go to EstablishedTitles.com slash DeFranco, and you use code DeFranco, you get an additional 10% off. And then, which is more important? the sanctity of your relationship with God or justice for abuse survivors. And specifically, what I mean here is, should religious clergy be legally required to report confessions of sexual abuse? Or Because other professions like therapists, teachers, and physicians legally have to pass any information about alleged child sexual abuse to the authorities in some states breaking an otherwise confidential relationship. But fun fact, not fun fact, in 33 states, clergy are exempt from any such requirement if they find that info to be privileged. With the argument there being that confession is supposed to be just between you, your clergy, member and God, and letting the state intervene in that relationship would disrupt its sacred privacy. But opponents of the exemption disagree, pointing out how many cases of abuse have gone under the radar because authorities were kept out of the loop. With one of those opponents being Angela Romero, a Democratic state senator from Utah who introduced a bill two years ago called HB90 which sought to close the clergy loophole. But obviously it wasn't passed, so what happened? Well, it got stuck in the House. And now an investigation by the Associated Press sheds light on why. With it finding that the religious establishment in Utah launched an organized campaign against the bill, with the Catholic diocese alone collecting 9000 signed pre-made letters from parishioners in dozens of churches and sending those to romero as well as i mean it's utah the mormon church whose members make up the majority of the state legislature applying pressure to kill the proposed law but also a key thing to know here this is just one example, because according to the AP, lawmakers across the country have introduced more than 130 bills trying to create or amend child sex abuse reporting laws over the past two decades, with every single one either targeting the loophole but failing to close it or amending the mandatory reporting statute without touching the clergy loophole. And as the AP explains, the Roman Catholic Church has used its well-funded lobbying infrastructure and deep influence among lawmakers in some states to protect that privilege. And adding their influential members of the Mormon Church and Jehovah's Witnesses have also worked in state houses and courts to preserve it in areas where the membership is high. With the clergy leading the opposition in some cases being the same people later discovered to be predators. Like a Catholic cardinal in Maryland who led the campaign there and was actually defrocked later for child sexual abuse. And I mean, just last month, another investigation revealed that a Mormon bishop in Arizona under the direction of church leaders failed to report a church member who confessed to sexually abusing his five-year-old daughter. With Republican state lawmaker Merrill Nelson reportedly advising that bishop not to report it, effectively letting the father abuse three of his children for years. Yet after that case, three proposed bills that would have closed the clergy loophole were snuffed out by key Mormon legislators. So now back in Utah Romero is teaming up with a Republican to reintroduce HB 90 next year, but if the entire history of these efforts is any indicator, I don't have a lot of faith that it'll pass. And if there's a final thing that I can say here that can that can stand out to you and especially to those on the religious right who go, "Yeah, I support this." It's times like these and stories like this that make me hope that you're right, that a god does exist, because if that is the case, you're not gonna go where you think you're going. Whatever excuses you make doesn't change the fact that you are protecting predators over their prey. And then, have you seen this 15-year-old girl? Well, if you live in Southern California, you very likely saw her yesterday because her face was blasted across the area through an Amber Alert. Her name's Savannah, and on Monday, her father, Anthony Graziano, shot and killed his estranged wife, then going on the run from authorities, and he took Savannah with him. So you see, the police treat this not only as an alleged murder case, but also an ongoing kidnapping, that the stakes are high here. still save Savannah. And for a day, Anthony was actually able to stay away from the cops, but yesterday somebody spotted his white Nissan pickup truck and alerted them. And so you had deputies arriving on the scene, and then Anthony, who was still armed at that time, putting several rounds through a patrol car's windshield. From there, we see a high-speed pursuit, taking both Anthony and the cops through multiple highways and cities. Reportedly, the entire time, shots are being fired back at the police, the bullets at one point even disabling a cop car. Anthony then drives his truck off the road and Hesperia, coming to a stop and engaging with law enforcement in a final firefight. With one bystander's video capturing at least 23 seconds of continuous gunfire, though it could have been longer. And at some point during all of this, a person wearing what the police described as tactical gear emerged from the passenger side door, including a plated vest and a helmet. They then run from the truck, making a beeline for the cops, but they're quickly shot down by their gunfire. So the dust settles, the deputies approach the truck, they find Anthony dead inside, then moving to administer medical aid to the person in tactical gear, which as the sheriff later reveals. We believe that both the suspect in the vehicle and the person that's contacted with the tactical gear, that that person is our 15-year-old juvenile, uh, Savannah. That's right. The police shot and killed the very 15-year-old girl that they were trying to rescue. And even though they then rushed her to the hospital, unfortunately, it was too late. Savannah died, with the sheriff later adding, Preliminarily, again, there may be some indications that the passenger of the vehicle, which we believe is Savannah may have been also involved in some of the fire exchange. Though on that, also noting that his deputies found one rifle inside the truck, and right now investigators are still trying to figure out what exactly happened there, including who specifically shot Savannah. So while you have some giving the police here the benefit of the doubt, you have a lot of people furious saying that this is yet another case of law enforcement hurting precisely the people that they're supposed to protect, with people more than ever seeming to wonder the the quality of person in this job, whether it be this or the, the situation we covered the other week about that woman that was left handcuffed on the train tracks or i mean just last week a sheriff's department in northern california stripped 47 deputies or rather 10 of their force of their guns and arrest powers and that because an internal audit ended up finding out that they had actually failed their psych exams going as far back as 2016 but still remained on the job but as far as what else we learn here we'll have to wait and see and of course until then i'll pass the question off to you what are your thoughts here but that is where that story and today's show ends as always thank you for watching and being subscribed to my daily dives into the news also if you need more news i got you covered right here or here more of that news you need to know but as always my name's philip defranco you've just been filled in i love yo faces and i'll see you tomorrow